welcome to another episode of The Practical CMO with your host, Mark Corona. Mark's passion is to help leadership teams accelerate revenues and profits using best growth practices and to improve the value and performance of marketing in their businesses. Well, hi, everybody. It's Mark Corona, host of The Practical CMO. Had a great show today. Kimberly Miller is one of my colleagues from Chief Outsiders. And I've been thinking about how marketing manifests itself differently in different markets. Um, it's not always that certain, certain industries do a great job of marketing and others do a poor job of marketing, but Kimberly's got a great background in industrials. And I just thought, you know, it's be a, a good discussion area to talk about. It's like, what do industrial businesses do well? What could they improve on? What can you learn from Kimberly's experience helping industrial companies go to market? So, so that's what we're up to today. Um, Kimberly, welcome to the show. Maybe you could just give everybody just a quick thumbnail background and then let's kind of jump into it. Well, thank you, Mark. And thank you for including me on your podcast. Uh, this is very exciting today. Yes, my industrial markets, they often get kind of uh, left to the side from our um, slick consumer marketers. But I do come with 30 years of corporate experience in industrial manufacturing, primarily aerospace, but into automotive and oil and gas, some of the regular industrial manufacturing as well. So always in that kind of engineered product and kind of taking that and how do you market that? So for three years, I've been consulting, working with uh, chief outsiders as well across all different types of industrial businesses. It's been a very exciting journey working with these kind of mid to small market and helping them grow, really moving the needle a lot faster than I have in the past in larger organizations. Yeah. So. And, you know, you, you bring that passion for growth. I mean, I think a lot of us at Chief Outsiders feel that passion. You know, we try to help our clients do better, grow faster, more profitably than they were growing before. But your perspective coming out of the industrial market, I think, is quite unique within Chief Outsiders. And, you know, I like to kind of just ask you a question that sort of open up the conversation, Kimberly. So a lot of times we'll talk about marketing maturity, how mature the marketing operation is, the marketing staff, the marketing programs are. And, you know, company by company, of course, maturity varies a lot, right? I mean, you can have two companies in the same market and one's pretty mature and the other one's much less mature, right? Mm -hmm. But how would you characterize overall maturity of marketing functions in industrial businesses? Overall, what they do well, they do really, really well. Marketing is such a wide breadth, but they have been, I would say, on the bleeding edge versus the leading edge of all things digital. And so that's where I think, especially pre-COVID, they've been a little bit behind the maturity curve. Um, and that's a lot of reasons. A lot of reasons are you have engineers talking to engineers, you have relationships, you have technical, you have a lot of complications involved in it. And you're targeting, you know, they do a lot better job of that kind of account-based marketing and kind of targeting. 
but a little less of a better job of that net fishing, right? So that digital, that outreach, getting clear content that they're not talking about themselves in looking internally and actually looking externally to the entire market and the consumers. I would say they do a little less of a good job than the consumer marketers do in that area. In that respect, yeah. yeah. You know, and recently I thought in the last year, with all the digital initiatives and the push for digital forms of customer engagement, I've started adding a whole series of questions to brand surveys that I've been working on with clients, right? Like, okay, well, what's most important to you? How important is online ordering? How about online chat? What about AI-driven chat, right? And right. it's interesting because, of course, there's 20, 25 different forms of engagement one could theoretically propose, but it's, this all seems very new and different to a lot of industrial marketers and their customers, because it's not just the companies, but it's the customers. So when you say, well, are you interested in AI-driven chat? A lot of them will say, well, I'm not even sure what that is, right? Right. <laughs> right. It's so true. So they were, you know, stuck in the very much, like I said, relationship development, trade shows, you know, that was their typical kind of go to market, go out and reach. And, you know, I have this whole theory that especially COVID, you know, it was already leaning towards that way, right? But as we as individuals become more and more comfortable buying and exploring and pre doing all of our research online, we, we take that back into our jobs. And then when our jobs came into our homes, so I'm a buyer of a large automotive facility and all of a sudden I'm at home with my computer, I all of a sudden start behaving like I do in my personal life as well and spending more time doing research online and looking at things digitally before just picking up that phone because I was in the office and that's what I did. And I would reach out to those one or two suppliers that would solve my problem. And maybe while you were in home, it wasn't comfortable picking up the phone, right? So the digital search was a lot better, but that was really a hotbed enabler for a lot of this as well. And then a lot of these organizations and a lot of the organizations that I work with all of a sudden had to look at their digital presence and how were they serving? And they all had a website, but they didn't spend a lot of time on it. And right. It didn't have great content or search or the search engine optimization wasn't there. And this was all new to them. You know, this was something that they were throwing money at, but didn't really understand the return on investment and mm -hmm. really maximizing that presence to their value. So that has been a game changer in the last two years, I have to say. Yeah. And, you know, this whole notion of kind of, uh, you know, high performing websites right is kind of the core of your marketing foundation it's also important right mm -hmm. and you know i just hate it when somebody says you know i just spent fifty thousand dollars on a new website and then you look at it and you're like you know you probably should have saved your money right because right. it's not really it doesn't present your value prop it doesn't really it's not compelling right it doesn't really talk about who you are right it may be just be totally kind of dysfunctional in a lot of respects. Exactly. It all starts with strategy, right? So if you haven't declared your strategy or you don't have a great strategy, it's really hard to then just throw up a website. 
you know, what do you want to talk about? What messaging do you want to provide? What do you want your brand to look like? How do you want them to navigate? All of those things come post kind of the strategy and your go-to-market and your targets and all of that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. So, and a lot of times it's been the cart before the horse. So they've thrown up the website and then someone gets a great idea to add a landing page or they, and you've got this kind of Frankenstein of a website now right. running almost against you in this digital world. Yeah, yeah. You know, you also talked about, I mean, I think most people would say, well, what's the kind of traditional go-to mix for an industrial company, right? It's like, oh, they have a website, if sales collateral, they go to conferences, right? I mean, isn't that kind of the traditional one, two, three? Right. I mean, it's a lot of the companies and manufacturers I've worked with, it's kind of like, well, okay, that's it, right? So now let's talk about how well those activities perform for you. But what's, what's your view on trade shows? Because trade shows are, you know, I mean, uh, <clears throat> seem like they're kind of coming back, but mm -hmm. I don't think they're going to ever come back in the form that they were in previously. I'm, I'm curious because I know a lot of marketing professionals sort of bat this idea back and forth. It's like, well, you know, Will trade shows always have a virtual component to them? Are they going to be critical? What's your view on that go-to-market model? They'll come back. I don't know that they'll ever come back how they were. So I do think they'll always be this virtual because it's a great content driver and it feeds well into kind of that digital world. So now that you can have your content live, if you prefer it live, and then you can bring it kind of digitally, and then you've got the reach that the virtual conference provides. I think what we've seen though, is we've seen the burnout, we've seen the Zoom burnout, we've seen a little of the, okay, been there, done that, don't have time, the distraction. So, you know, the benefits of trade shows and some of my clients that really are saying about it, it's not necessarily all those meetings you schedule, which you couldn't reschedule virtually. It's sure. those people that are just walking by either a booth or a table or a meeting and that networking that you get to have that conversation that leads to that next conversation, you know, that real kind of early entry of your funnel, that sales mm -hmm. enabler, that trade shows, that face-to-face -face trade show, it's not going to be able to replace virtually. So I think there will be a role for them. I just think we're going to see them change. I don't know that you're going to see the type of money that on it. So I think the ROI on trade shows was already starting to be questioned, right? Yeah. How many leads are we getting? How are we going to match those to actual sales and opportunities? And that whole pressure because all of your competition's there and they've got the big 20 by 20 booths that we've also right. got the 20 by 20 booth, that's kind of gone away. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, honestly, when I psycho, when I work with a business and it's like, okay, we go to we spend half our marketing budget on trade shows. Like, all right, well, let's let's take a look at your spend. What are you getting yeah. for your spend, right? Yeah. And they're like, well, what do you mean? I mean, like, well, what I mean is, how many leads are you getting? <laughs> you know, how many are you closing? If you're at, if you're exhibiting, what are your sales per square foot, right? So you know whether you should have a bigger booth next year or the same size booth or no booth, right? And right. that it just seems to be a kind of a lack of. Uh, sort of uh, financial discipline, Kimberly, and, and companies that are, so they, they'll spend the money, but they don't seem like they're very sophisticated in understanding what they're getting, what kind of value they're getting back. 
Yep. Yeah. There is a lot of kind of that my competition is doing it. So therefore I must too. And not oh, yeah. taking that financial look at it and saying, am I really getting anything from this? And if yeah. I'm not, can I change it? Or do I just say no? You know that all we've always done it. They've always done it. This is where you always have to be. And I think COVID's a nice reset for that. So people are going mm-hmm. to be able to kind of step back and say, okay, we didn't do that. I'm working with a very large client right now that spends a bunch of money on TNA and all of that fell to the bottom line last year. And now they're really questioning whether they needed all that TNA. <laughs> whether they wanted, yeah, right. Whether that's the right size budget going forward, right? Right. So where do we scale that? We know we're going to get back in front of customers, but do we really need to spend that many millions that we were before? Right. Yeah. So how many times have you heard the line? Because I've certainly heard it over and over and over again through the years. Like, well, if we don't go to the trade show, everybody will think we're out of business. Yeah. All the time. (laughs) I think that's what kept the trade show business sustaining, to be honest with you. It's like, that is the, that's like the giant myth of myths, right? Yeah. And it's like, oh, really? So you can't email them. You can't call them up and talk to them. They can't find you on your website. I mean, so it's like, no, it's like, you know, they'll they'll just think we're out of business if we don't show up. And it's like, oh my gosh, what a poor excuse for continuing to spend money on a program, right? Right. Oh, Lord. Well, you know what? Let's just take a couple minute break here. We're going to do a quick Chief Outsiders commercial, and then we're going to be back. And I'd like to pick up the conversation, Kimberly, and talk a little bit about how marketing is viewed as a growth driver within industrial businesses. So when we and I started, we talked about sort of passion for growth, but, you know, different companies, different industries, different parts of the business seem like they take the initiative for being the growth champion or the, the growth engine for the business. How do you view that role within industrial companies. Is there sort of a standard model that you've seen for that or one that you think works really well? The one I like the best is market driven. So declare the markets that we're going to target and then find out what our ship set content full on. We were a full partner providing them everything we possibly could provide them. What does that look like? and then kind of benchmark that against all of the potential customers in that market. I like to set that bar, you know, that total market size, that addressable market size. I like to set that high and then really kind of drive the organization to it. Um, In the industrial space, especially in the engineered solution space that I play, um, it really helps support your kind of your product roadmap, right? All of those things, it kind of keeps you in that innovative space when you look at things like that to make sure that you are the solution provider to that market so that you're constantly driving that growth. So, you know, that's kind of the model I like. I do like being the kind of the driver of the winning culture, because I do believe it is a culture within organizations and you have to kind of drive that all the way throughout because they're so interconnected and, and marketing can play a beautiful leader in that role, right? No, I agree. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of times in industrial companies, though, because of their sort of technical roots um, and just their, their business model, 
you know, they tend to kind of think about marketing as, well, here's what we make, where else can we sell it? Mm -hmm. Right. Versus sort of take the market in view of, well, wait a second, maybe there are things we could do. We understood, you know, some of these, these better developing segments and we had some really good, a really good sense of what a target uh, uh, ideal, uh, an ideal customer might look like that we could combine kind of that inside out view of capabilities with an, uh, an outside in view of opportunities. Yeah, it's, you know, it's the beautiful spec sheet, right? So yeah. all the companies I have, all their products have these wonderful spec sheets that talk about all these engineering details, you know, to the nth degree of what it can do, either temperature or speed or functionality and all that kind of stuff. And it speaks nothing to what solution does it provide to the customer? <laughs> you no, know? no, it's just stuff, right? It's like, right. it's like, uh, you know, navel gazing is what I kind of call it, right? Oh, we do this, we do this, we do this. Like, right, you know, I'm, uh, I think it's fabulous, but tell me why it's important to somebody. Right? Yes. So that's a lot of, you know, marketing's role is to break that, right? We love our products. We're very excited about our products. We have a host of engineers that are developing beautiful products and solutions, but so what, right? What does that mean to our customers? You know, what benefit are they getting from it? What pleasure is it providing? How is it enhancing their world? And constantly kind of being that mirror to their faces to kind of say, you know, this has to be commercialized. We need to know, understand, you know, what benefit are we providing? Because engineers will solve wonderful problems, even problems that don't need to be solved. And this is oh, where yeah. kind of marketing is the one that has to be that, you know, bias of truth in the equation and tell them this is what the customer needs. This is what the customer yeah. wants. Yeah. So, so do you think that makes the role of a marketing professional or a marketing executive even more challenging when you're operating in an industrial company? just because of kind of some of those cultural things that you talked about and sort of those predispositions to sort of, how do you view the world? How do you view opportunities? I mean, is it a tough job for marketing executives, Kimberly? It is, you have to be a little bit of an engineering whisperer. Yeah. <laughs> they love to solve problems, like I said, and you have to kind of tell them when it's solved, right? Or it's good enough. And because obviously for resources, for a bunch of reasons, we have to kind of draw the line in the sand and you have to help them understand that customer view. Almost every organization I work into, we've got these beautiful, talented engineers that the customer needs it to be at a 50,000 feet. They're at 110 and they're still trying to solve it the 200, right? And oh, yeah. you have to say, okay, that's beautiful, but nobody needs that right now. Yeah, <laughs> so it's a beautiful 50, thing. <laughs> let's get 50 really good and everybody's yeah. going to be happy. So you, it's constantly that give and take. And I love innovation and I do believe organizations should be looking farther out in a couple mm -hmm. solutions ahead of where their customer and their market is. But again, that takes really great coordination with your marketing executives to say, this is the market we're in. These are the solutions we're currently providing. These are the problems we believe this market's gonna have the next life cycle and the life cycle after that. So, you know, use your true innovation to be trying to solve those problems 
Right. And, you know, let's stay hand in glove together to make sure that we're not overshooting or we're not going off down in a path that isn't going to solve their problem. And that clarity in market is just so important because otherwise, if you think you can solve everybody's problem, you don't usually come away with a real good solid product. Right. Yeah. You know, I've got an investment banking friend and he would say, you know, you can't manage what you can't see clearly which is why he's such a fanatic about doing future growth exercises, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of looking at your growth opportunities over windows and time, and then planfully developing strategies to take advantage of those. So they, they aren't just theoretical opportunities on paper, but they're, they become true incremental profitable revenue streams. And you know what you just said, I thought it's really important in that, right? Like if you don't have a cl- if you don't have clarity in your future opportunities, you're likely going to just kind of bumble around and mm-hmm. maybe you'll get lucky, maybe you won't get lucky, right? But you're not really applying sort of best practices towards managing your future growth potential. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's kind of what I was just explaining to one customer. You know what they've done is they've kind of taken all their poker chips and equally distributed them on the table. And so what they do is when they have wins in certain markets, they're little wins because they didn't kind of do a bunch of, you know, let's take and put them in groups of 10 and bet on 10 good markets or good plays. And then we're going to get 80 to 90% of the solution in 10 markets versus 1% and 100 So where they're finding these little wins, they're spread out, their resources are spread out, they're kind of chasing a bunch of things and they're never gonna kind of be that one or two. So it's riskier, it feels like a scarier position to be playing from, but you're really kind of hedging your bet a little better there to get yourself into that one or two position in a chosen targeted market versus kind of trying to be all things to everybody. Well, yeah, I think the, you know, the chairman of um, Under Armour, I think he's famous for saying, hey, we can do anything. We just can't do everything. Right. (laughs) Right. It's kind of like, okay, right. Everybody seems to get that, right? Like, okay, so we can marshal ourselves and, you know, we can get bring focus and we we can accomplish some really good things, but we just, we just have to have a plan. We can't, we can't just be all over the board. Right. Right. Yeah. So let me ask a kind of a wrap up question here. So when you think about three things you might recommend for industrial marketers, three success factors, as you kind of view how that world is changing and will continue to change this year and next year, you know, what do you think people should be paying attention to, Kimberly? I think they need to make sure and ask themselves seriously, are they internally focused or are they externally focused, right? We, what is driving them? You know, are they a production or an engineering driven company? Or are they truly a market-based company? And are they RFQ chasers or are they kind of have that targeted account-based marketing where I know where we're going after, we're going to call our shot and we're going to go get it versus just kind of responding to what's coming in and being on their heels a little bit. I think digital is important. You know, I've spent time taking our, you know, we do have that great process of digital marketing assessment. And I took the time to get myself certified because I know that this market, this industrial market really needs it more than anybody right now. 
they've all been spending money on websites. They don't know where they're spending it. They don't know how to measure it. They're really struggling with content and what that does for them. So getting someone like a chief outsiders or an organization that can come in and give that kind of objective view on where Mm -hmm. they are versus their competition as far as the website in their market and get them some real that's really low-hanging fruit for them yeah yeah so i think those are the biggest things to kind of move forward for and you know that digital marketing analysis that we offer particularly for industrial companies and the fact that they are they tend to be much more analytical people Mm -hmm appreciate the data, the insights, you know, the implications, the recommendations, because they're so grounded in true analysis, right? They're not just like, oh, I looked at your website, your website's, you know, you need to change your colors on your website. Well, okay, fine, right? I mean, this is anything but that. So I, I think their response to digital marketing analysis would tend to be very, very positive, just because kind of like, oh, okay, it's pretty compelling for somebody with an analytical background when you can lay it out like that. Yeah. Our assessment's beautiful for that. Cause you're right. It's all data driven and it's something that's tangible that someone can get their arms around and understand kind of when they're, where they're winning and where they're losing, and then really understand the return on investment of their spending in this area and what it's getting them yeah. as far as exposure. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. That's a beautiful thing. Right. So, Hey, Kimberly, you know, this has been really fun. I appreciate your coming on and kind of talking about this market. I, it might, for some people, it might be unusual that we're even talking about industrials and some of the marketing dynamics, but, you know, all markets benefit from strategic marketing at some point <laughs> or another, right? Definitely. And I think, you know, you've got a passion and I've done a lot of work in manufacturers. I mean, it's, uh, I, I love to see these companies be successful. And obviously you've been very, very successful in helping them. So thanks for coming on the program today. It's, it's been a real pleasure to have you on and I appreciate your insights. If somebody would like to follow up with you, how would, how would you like them to contact you? Your Chief Outsiders email or something else? Yeah, that'd be perfect. So Chief Outsiders email is kmiller at chiefoutsiders.com. Okay, we can do that. So, um, well, thanks again. Hey, everybody. Um, this is a wrap for um, today's program with Kimberly. And um, please stay tuned. Next time, we're going to talk a little bit about marketing in healthcare, believe it or not, which is also an industry or a market where it's not necessarily known for strong marketing, right? So lots of opportunities to continue the conversation. So thanks, everybody. Cheers. Never miss an episode. Be sure to look for The Practical CMO in all your favorite podcast apps or on our website, thepracticalcmo.com.